We have been going through the gospel of wholeness. And I'm not going to take the time to review right now. We're going to just jump right in. We've gone over, I think, uh, six of the eight different verses or, or uh, uh, different uh, sections of Scripture that help us to understand the key question of how do we become more like Jesus? The gospel of wholeness is simply a presentation of what the Bible teaches of how we are changed into Christ's likeness throughout our lifetime it never fully uh, 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 takes place but we continually are growing and being transformed being changed to be like Jesus last week you remember we talked about how we deal with sins committed against us because sin is the common obstacle it's the common problem we deal with uh, that's why we're, we don't look like Jesus, because we're broken, we're fallen. Last week, we talked about forgiveness, which is the biblical tool that we're given to deal with sins that are, are committed against us. Today, we're going to talk about repentance and confession, which is the tool that we're given to deal with our own sin or our sinful reactions. So let's go ahead and pray, ask that God allows me to, uh, to be clear today, and, and that it really it really sinks into your heart, not just your, your minds. Father, we come to you right now, and in Jesus' name, I ask that you would give me grace as I communicate. Lord, I, I ask that you would allow me to say only those things that, that you would want me to say, those things that would be valuable. Lord, I, I just turn to you. I just say, come and uh, have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me begin with a story. When, when I, was, I was probably about five years old, my mother decided one evening we were going to have artichoke with our dinner. And I, I don't know how many of you eat artichoke or like artichoke, but I remember when we, we, we had this thing, I never had seen it before. It looked rather strange. And my father began to explain to me how to eat artichoke. And it was all new to me, and he said, Danny, now, this is, this is different. I want you to be careful. And it was the first time my father ever said, be careful when it comes to eating. It got my attention. And, and he said, you got to take a leaf off, tear it off one at a time, scrape it on your teeth, which wasn't good because I had no front teeth at the time. I, you know, so I thought this is just a cruel joke. He said, scrape it on your teeth. But he said, be careful because if you take the wrong end, there are little barbs and it'll hurt you. And don't eat the leaf because that will really hurt you. And I, I began to think, this is crazy. My father is giving me a food that can hurt me, that can harm me, that could cause me to choke. And I, you know, it took years before I had any kind of desire to eat artichoke again. I eat artichoke now. I love artichoke. But back then, it was something that I just avoided because I didn't want to approach any food that could be dangerous. Now, what does this have to do with repentance? Repentance is the artichoke of the Christian life. There's something innate in all of us that, that for some reason avoids this, this notion of, of repentance and confession. It's sort of like when you hear a, a pastor talk about repentance, you know, we get these images of, of some guy sitting there wagging his finger at us. We, when we think about confession, we think about, oh, that's painful, and you know, having to acknowledge something to, to God, let alone to another person. We, we avoid it. 
But the reality is this, that repentance is something that is, is, is a gift to us. So let me read the verse that, that correlates with this, this concept of repentance, and then we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we deal with our sin through repentance and confession. And that's the key concept, repentance and confession. We deal with sins committed against us, you remember, through forgiveness. We deal with our sins or our sinful reactions to sins committed against us through repentance and confession. The early church, when the early church talked about repentance, confession, they didn't see it as something to be avoided. They didn't talk about repentance as the artichoke of the, of the Christian life. They used the phrase, the grace of repentance. They saw repentance as such an invitation, such a, a gift, because it was that which enabled the Christian to be restored into right relationship with God. It was something that they, they longed for. It was something that they desired. Repentance was seen and is to be seen as something that is, is good and delightful and full of grace. Repentance and confession is essentially realigning ourselves with the purposes, the plans of God, if ever we get off track. It's bringing us back on that divinely, kindly uh, offered path that God has created for us to walk with him when we find ourselves veering to the left or to the right. So repentance was seen as something that is good, a, a reconforming our will with his will so that we reap the benefits and the good fruit. But I want us to understand, just as I said last week, and, and indeed, if you missed last week or if you missed any of the, the series, I do encourage you, because it, it builds, each week builds on the other, go online onto the VCDC website and listen to the, to the, the sermons. They're there. Uh, grab a copy from last week, or if you missed a week, grab a copy from the weeks past. Take the cards that you see on the table, and, and it helps you show... Uh, to know what are those different verses or passages. But what was I saying? Repentance, I want you to understand, repentance is a supernatural exchange. Repentance isn't just something that makes us feel good. Confession isn't just something that's cathartic, that, that helps us to, to feel better when we, when we fall or, or stumble. Biblically speaking, just like was true of forgiveness, there was something supernatural that takes place when you forgive, it is equally true when it comes to repentance. He says not only when we repent, when we confess, does he forgive us, but he purifies us, or he cleanses us, it says in the New American Standard Version. He cleanses us from our uh, unrighteousness. So repentance is a supernatural exchange. We give to God when we repent, when we confess to him. We give to God our sin. 
We acknowledge to him, this is a direction that I find myself going. Here is a pattern of, of behavior, uh, an attitude that I, that I fall into. And I acknowledge it because it's contrary to what you have for me. So we confess, we repent, we hand it to God here on earth, and he does something supernaturally. Repentance is this exchange between heaven and earth where we give God something that we have no desire to hold on to anyway. Like that exchange I talked about a few weeks ago with my grandfather where, where I would give him some, a piece of paper that I found in my pocket and in exchange he would give me a, a, a pack of gum or a candy bar. We give to God the brokenness that we see floating to the surface in our lives and in exchange we receive forgiveness and we receive a cleansing, a purifying from the inside out. So with repentance, we give our, our sin to God boldly, honestly, not shrinking back, not thinking that, that we dare not come into God's presence because what does he think of us? Not with, with self-condemnation as if God needs us to, to somehow punish ourselves in order to forgive us, but we go before our Heavenly Father. We say, Jesus, I see this pattern in my life. I see this addiction. I see this attitude. I see these actions that just float out of my life, and I, I, I don't want it. I, I take it out, and I give it to you. But then, like I said in weeks prior, we don't just turn around. We don't leave his presence ever empty-handed having given him our, our brokenness, confessed to him our sin, we say, Father, what do you want to do? We pause in his presence to receive what he wants to, to do, to say, to, to sow into us so that we can be cleansed and, and set free. We go without self-condemnation. We don't go negotiating our repentance. Lord, if... if if you would just forgive me and, and just let, this, let, let this, this sin go, I, I'll go to church every Sunday for the next three months. If you just forgive me, Lord, I promise you I'll, I'll get up early in the morning and read the Bible. Those are all good things. But we don't negotiate forgiveness. It's a gift. And that's why it was called by the early church the grace of repentance. So we come and give God our sin by confession and repentance. And in return, God gives us forgiveness and supernaturally cleanses us or purifies us, as, as it says there in, in 1 John 1, 9, cleanses or purifies us from our unrighteousness from the inside out. Something happens supernaturally. It's not just to make us feel better. That word that's translated to purify us from our unrighteousness or to cleanse us from our righteousness is the, the Greek word katharizo. And it's the word that Jesus used when he talked about cleansing or pur purifying those who had leprosy. Not in some religious ceremonial way, but physically Listen to this passage. This is the, where, one of the places where Jesus uses this word, katharizo. 
It says a leper came to, to Jesus, beseeching him, falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You can make me catharizoized. And moved by compassion, Jesus stretched his hand out, touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed, be purified, be catharizoized, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. He was catharizoed. This is the word that is used when it says, confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you, and to catharizoize you, to cleanse you, to remove the power of that sin, the evidence of that sin. Now granted, it doesn't just happen entirely for, and, and last forever, because most of us, we tend to fall back into patterns, don't we? But what happens when we confess our sin, what happens when we repent, and realign our will with God's will, something does happen supernaturally. The, the hold, the power of that, of that sin, of that pattern, of that addiction begins to be loosened. It begin, we be, begin this process of becoming free. When we see an empty well in our lives, a counterfeit way where we're trying to get what only God can give, we say, Lord, I see this pattern. I see my attempt to get identity or value or worth, to get peace or hope or joy. I see how I'm trying to get it from the things of this world rather than finding you as my source. I confess that. I acknowledge that. Won't you now supernaturally, as I give that to you, supernaturally set me free? Supernaturally break the power of that empty well, of that sin. You know, as a pastor, I'm keenly aware that one of the major traps is that it's easy to, to fall into this trap of trying to find my identity from, from ministry, from what I do. To try to, to in a counterfeit way, to try to find worth and value from what I do and, and, and what, how I minister. And one of the things that I repeatedly am forced to do as I see that, that pattern rise up is make that supernatural exchange. Jesus, I see this tendency, I see this pattern where, where my value, my, my sense of worth comes through how I'm doing, what I'm doing. I see how when I, when I do something and it works out okay, I feel like, okay, I'm all right with God. I'm all right. I, I feel good about myself. And when I stumble or when I fall or when I'm not as effective as I want to be, oh, I think I'm, I'm just worthless. I acknowledge, Lord, this is a counterfeit way to try to find a sense of self. So I make this exchange. I go before the Lord regularly and say, Jesus, I give you this pattern. I give you this empty well. I give you this, this sin of choice, this counterfeit way that I try to get what only you can give. And I don't just leave his presence empty-handed, though. Wait, say, Lord, what do you have to say to me? What do you have to say as to who I am or how you view me? And I've learned over years to begin to hear 
his affirmation, to begin to receive a sense of, of self that doesn't have to always come from what I do, but it comes from him. But suffice it to say that, that repentance is supernatural. Repentance allows us to do something here on earth that has a heavenly effect and that God, it releases God to do something in heaven that has an earthly effect. It loosens the power of that sin. You see, the call to repentance is God's invitation into restored intimacy. Having walked away from him, as it says in Jeremiah chapter 2, having abandoned God, the, the spring of life, the spring of living water, and, and, and tried to find life by digging these empty wells, by trying to find something in this world that can give us what really only he can give us. We turn around. Repentance is the opportunity, the, the continual invitation that we all have into restored intimacy with him. There's a, there's a quote that I love. By, by Brother Lawrence. It's not, I don't have it on the screen, but let me read it to you. This is my favorite non-biblical quote. Listen to how this, this monk back a few, number of centuries ago talked about his, how he viewed himself and how he loved repentance. He says, I consider myself the, roast, the most wretched of men, full of sores and corruption. Good so far, right? I consider myself the most wretched of men, full of sores and corruption, who has committed all sorts of crimes against his king. And touched with a sensible regret, I confess to him all my wickedness, and I ask his forgiveness. I abandon myself into his hands that he may do what he pleases with me. And this king, full of mercy and goodness, Far from chastising me, he embraces me with love. He makes me eat at his table. He serves me with his own hands, gives me the keys to his treasures. He converses and delights himself with me incessantly. And in a thousand and a thousand ways, he treats me in all respects as his favorite. It is thus I consider myself from time to time when in his holy presence. That's repentance. Recognizing unabashedly our, broken, our brokenness. Responding to the invitation to renewed intimacy. And over and over again, to our delight and maybe our surprise, seeing his love, experiencing his, his words, his presence, his affection. Repentance is how we deal with our own brokenness at God's invitation, at his bidding. Repentance means to turn around, to turn from sin, to turn from our, our empty wells, our counterfeit ways of trying to get what, what only God can give, but it's not just turning around from, but it's turning to Jesus. Again, Jeremiah 2.13, that was our second 
of uh, verse of the gospel of wholeness. We've abandoned God, the source of living water. We've dug for ourselves these empty cisterns in this world trying to find life. But we get to abandon them, turn to God, and reconnect with him to receive what only he can give us. And we repent even if society says that our behavior is okay. Do you realize there are numerous culturally accepted sins that we not only fall into, but we're oblivious of? Socially acceptable sins that have been held up sometimes even as virtues in our culture. And it's important to know that and to understand that. Because remember what the third verse in the Gospel of Holiness says, you know, Galatians 6, 7, and 8, it says, whatever is sown out of our flesh is going to reap destruction. There's a, a sowing and a reaping. It matters if we fall into a pattern, even if our culture says it's okay, it matters because Jesus says it'll reap corruption. It'll reap destruction. There are patterns that we walk into, that we embrace attitudes and actions that everyone around you will say, oh, that's fine, that's understandable, that's noble even. But if it's contrary to how God has designed us and called us to walk, it'll bear bad fruit. So therefore, we need to uproot those sins of, that, that become like seeds that we sow into ourselves. Things like, like self-protection, Building walls to protect ourselves from others. And, and our friends might say, well, that's understandable because look what you went through. But it's a sin. It'll, it'll cause bad fruit in our lives. Pride. Where we think that we're more important, that we're better than everyone else. It may be culturally acceptable, but it's sin. Materialism. Independence. So there's one in, in our, our country. I mean, that's just the American way. Independent. I don't need anybody else. I can take care of myself. But the scriptures say that God designed us to be interdependent, to be woven together with others. So even though our culture says that's fine, we, we exalt that independent spirit, we don't realize that we've exalted something that will bear bad fruit. There's a sowing and there's a reaping. So therefore, Jesus says, I invite you to confess that as a sin and find freedom from it. We repent of our sinful responses to sins committed against us. It's not just our sin, but sometimes when we're sinned against, we react with sin. It, it starts this, this vicious circle where we are hit emotionally or, or other ways, and we react. We strike back. We respond with sin. And it doesn't matter whether it's, it's a response to sin or whether it's just our sin that we thought up all by ourselves. It'll still bear, bear bad fruit. I, I, I talk to so many people, and quite frankly, I, I see in myself how... There's a tendency to, to make vows to yourself, for instance. When you grow up maybe in a situation 
where, where there's been, been uh, rejection or, or hurt or abuse. And you say to yourself, I will never get close enough for someone to hurt me like that again. It's sin. Vows are sin. Does it mean that we, we should purposefully get close to people who hurt us? That, that's not the point. The point is, it's Jesus who provides security and safety and identity. It's Jesus who, who doesn't say, I will never let you get hurt. It's Jesus who says, if you fix your eyes on me, you will know your value. Because I give you value. And other people's rejection or other people's abandonment does not define who you are. So we make these vows, I'll never get close enough to be hurt again like that, or we make a vow that I'm never going to become like my father. And those vows, those promises that we make to ourselves, usurp God's responsibility, God's role, God's power in our life, and we become our own caretaker. Those vows become just a, an empty well of trying to get from our own efforts, what God can provide and what only God can provide. We repent even if the sin against us, if their sin against us was far more serious than our sinful response. Sometimes we think, well, look what they did. It's understandable why you have made that vow. Look what they did. It's understandable why you say what you said. Look at how they treated you. It's understandable why you, you slander them or you gossip about them or you, you speak ill of them. And even our, our friends may say, well, you know, I understand why you're so mad and bitter because I would be too because look at what they did. And what you're doing pales in comparison of what was done to you. But folks, again, our if we sin, it'll bear bad fruit. And it doesn't matter whether our sin is, is smaller than the sin committed against us. It'll bear bad fruit. There's a sowing and a reaping. And things like slander or gossip or bitterness, it matters. Words matter. Words matter. And they'll bear bad fruit. Sometimes I, I read Facebook pages and I think, my gosh, the, the fruit that is growing because of things that are written is enormous. Not to mention that, that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton don't read your Facebook account. It doesn't bother them what you're writing, but you're sowing something into yourself. The bad fruit. Our words matter. And you think, oh, come on, you know, now we're getting a little bit too nitpicky. But... Think of what Jesus said about our speech and the effect of our speech, whether the other person hears us or whether we're just talking to a third party. Jesus said that if we call someone a fool, it, we're guilty before him. It's bearing, it's going to bear bad fruit. Now, am I making... A big thing out of a, out of a little inconspicuous verse? No. When he said that our words matter, our speech matters, 
he sandwiched that between two other things that he was talking about. Murder and adultery. Words matter. And we get to go before the Lord and say, Father, I, I give you this, this pattern. I give you these words. And, and somehow I feel justified because look at what my parent or that teacher or that friend did to me. Look at what that ex-spouse did to me. It, it, there's such wounding, you know, compared to what they did, my words are, 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 are not a big deal. But Jesus didn't say whatever is sown out of the flesh will reap corruption unless what they did to you to cause that sin of yours was more significant. We repent of attitudes and actions. You see, sin is not defined by what other people see or by actions alone that we take. Our attitudes our attitudes bear bad fruit. Whether it's an attitude of, of hopelessness, frustration, fear, we need to learn to make that supernatural exchange. Where we go before the Lord and say, Father, I feel so utterly hopeless in this situation. I, I, I have this fear that is controlling me. But I acknowledge it, Lord, if you're on the throne, then you're in control. So I, I, I take this, this fear or this hopelessness, I take this, this frustration that is gnawing at me, and I give it to you. But I don't leave your presence empty-handed. What do you have to do in response? What do you want to say to me? What picture do you want to paint in my mind? What verse do you want to bring to my mind? What sense of your presence or your peace do you have in this moment? And we learn through practice to make these exchanges of our actions and of our attitudes. It's a, a learned process to make exchanges. It's a process where we, we learn to find our way into his presence. It's a learned process that we find the ability to, to hear his words, to sense his presence, to receive that, that picture, those words that, that he places in our mind, that, that sense of his grace or his presence, his mercy, whatever is needed. But we make supernatural exchanges. We repent of both intentional and unintentional sins. It doesn't matter that you didn't realize that it was a sin. It doesn't matter that you don't, didn't know that you were sinning against another. It doesn't matter whether it wasn't intentional at all. It'll bear bad fruit. Sowing and reaping, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. So when we do become aware when it is brought to our attention by God or by another person or just by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we realize, oh, Lord, I didn't realize the, 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 this, this attitude, this action, these words. I didn't realize that I was, I was sinning. I was 
walking along my path, not your path, that I was, I was trying to take care of my, myself, independent of your care and your mercy. When we realize it, then we deal with it. I, I was talking to a, a person, actually it was last night before the service, and they were saying that they had made a, 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 uh, an exchange with the Lord last week because they, they, they realized that, that there was forgiveness that they had to, to engage in. And they handed individuals over to the Lord who had, had offended them. But it, then he realized that the, his response to that was this self-protection. He realized that he, he had been married for many years, but he had never, ever said to his wife, I love you. Never used those words. And it was clear to him that the reason was that he, he feared that kind of vulnerability that it caused him to feel. So he was able to make an exchange, not only forgiving the, the, the volatile home that he grew up in, but then after the service last night, he was able to make a wonderful exchange and saying, Jesus, I, I didn't realize it. It wasn't intentional because I tried to just show my wife I loved her. I just didn't say it. But I realize now why I would never say it because it made me feel so vulnerable. Lord, forgive me. Begin to break the power of that fear. We repent even if we fear that we may fall again. Repentance and confession is not a promise of some personal perfection that you're going to, to reach. It's just another step where our fallen nature, our sin nature is taught to submit. See, when we repent, what, what takes place is that we we bring that brokenness within us into conformity with the Lord. Where we, where we just say, I am not going to react to life. And I'm not going to let my, my flesh have control. What repent does, essentially, in the heavenlies, it's like taking a, a, a dagger and putting it through our, our, our flesh, our sinful nature and saying, die. And that's why we hate repentance and, and, and confession so much. Because our, our, our flesh, our fallen nature, just squirms to have to admit that it's done something wrong. But that's one of the reasons why it's so fruitful. Because when we repent, when we confess, it's conforming our will with God's will. And it's teaching our fallenness to submit itself to God, it's, it's, it's telling our, our, our flesh, you don't get your way. And it gives God the ability to break its power over us. Show me something, someone who regularly confesses, regularly forgives, and I'll show you somebody who consistently is finding more and more and more freedom over their brokenness and someone whose who's flesh, whose sin nature loses power in their lives. 
And we must repent of introspection. I want to talk about this a bit. Introspection is sort of the, the prominent sin of our culture. Actually, introspection is the, the prominent sin of every human being, probably for all times. Although I think some of us have, have turned introspection into an art form. Now, introspection, what I mean by that is it's the attempt to find life or peace or security or hope from within. Introspection is our, our attempt to deal with or control or escape life. So what, what we do when we introspect is we begin to, to fall into this pit of what ifs. You know, we wake up in the middle of the night or maybe we never fell asleep. We lay in our bed in the middle of the night and all of a sudden we find this reel going of all the what ifs. What if that noise in the car today is a big expense? What if my job isn't as secure as I thought it was? What if the, the, the argument that I had with my wife is, or with my husband is sort of the beginning of the end? What if I don't find that husband or that wife that I so desperately want to have in my life? And we begin to go down the path of what ifs. But let me say this to you. This, the phrase what if is an illegal phrase for a Christian. Because Jesus says, I'll give you grace for each day, right? I'll give you grace and enable you for the what are's. If you want to delve into what ifs, have at it, but you're on your own. But we begin to introspect, we begin to dive in, thinking that if I can cover and think through all the what ifs, all the possibilities, then I'll be prepared, I'll be ready for it, I'll be able to, to take care of myself. But, but Jesus says no. You give the what-ifs to me, and I'll give you grace when you need it. We develop these, these scripts in our mind. We rehearse conversations that we, we may have tomorrow at work or with our, our, our roommate or with a friend or with a spouse. Well, if they say this, I'll say that. And if they say this, I'll just give them this look. That will take care of it. And we have these scripts that, that we run in our minds and it's all introspection. And it's all a counterfeit way of trying to take care of ourselves or control what might happen. And we, and we introspect by reviewing every interaction we had today and yesterday. When, when they looked at me like that, I saw that look. I'm pretty sure I know what they were thinking. They, they probably were thinking this. They were probably thinking that. And we analyze everything that went on and it runs through our mind, those conversations and those interactions, again, like a, a, a film that we can't stop. And it's just our counterfeit way of trying to get control and feel safe in this life. And it's a sin. And what we do with introspection is we make exchanges. Lord Jesus, I am a compulsive introspector. I give you the what-ifs, I give you the things that occurred today, I give you the anticipation of what might occur tomorrow. I, I 
hand it to you. I acknowledge that there's concern. But Lord, you take care of me. You give me the words tomorrow. You cover what took place today. But I want to walk with you right now. I want to be close to you right now. So rather than reacting to the past or, or anticipating everything that could happen tomorrow, what we do is we, we end up squandering the present. Squandering the opportunity to walk in the presence of God today, here and now. Now, Self-examination is good. Remember David in the Psalms said, Lord, search me and know me. Show me if there's any hurtful way. That's not introspection. That's, that's inviting God to take you on a tour of things that he wants you to see in your life. But introspection is just a self-guided tour. It's where you just dive in and start rummaging around. Not good. And the power behind introspection is fear. Fear is the power behind all that kind of introspection. So what we do is we name the fear. I'm afraid of the what-ifs. I'm afraid of what could happen. I'm afraid of what did happen and, and, and the results and the, the consequences. We take what it is. We take the fear. We say, Jesus, here's the power behind it. Here's, the, here's what's going on. Won't you free me from the... The, the continual need to take control of my own life. I give you control. I give you the fears. Lord, come, give me your peace and break the power of this pattern. Repentance is a gift, an offer into restored intimacy with God. And finally, it brings us to our last verse. Where, second, where Peter says, this is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And you know, we've talked about how we deal with sins committed against us through forgiveness. We've talked about how we deal with our own sins and sinful reactions through confession and repentance. Now, in 2 Peter verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self control and to self control, perseverance and, and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. He, he's saying, Here are the things I want you to add to your faith. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to know why we're unproductive in growing and in our conforming to Christ? Because we, we fail to recognize, though it's a work of God, he's the one that does it. It's a work that God does as we cooperate, as we participate in that. See, sanctification is a work of God in which we also participate. So it, it's by faith that we grow and change, but we can add to the faith. Now, effort, when we're talking about our own effort or, or, or self-discipline, we're not talking about works. We're not talking about we need to add to our faith so we're worthy for God to work in us or to give us grace. 
we are simply placing ourselves in a position where, where God can do his best work. When I first became a Christian, I, I uh, smoked. I was addicted to cigarettes. And I said to the Lord, I, I remember, I, I said, Lord, I, I don't want to smoke anymore. And I, I, I felt like the Lord said, oh, you do so. He said, okay, you're right. But, I, I, but part of me doesn't want to smoke anymore. And, and I said, Lord, when I'm tempted, I'm going to just ask for you to do it. Because I've tried to quit, to, to help me, because I've tried to quit so many times. So I'd have this temptation, you know, or someone would offer me a cigarette, I, or I'd think, oh, I better go and buy another pack. And then I'd conform my will with God's will. I'd say, Lord, I, I don't want to do this. But unless you come and break the, this desire, break this, this desire to have a cigarette, I, I'm just going to fall miserably again. So, Lord, I don't want to have a cigarette. Give me power. Give me grace. And the Lord would come, and he would give me grace to not take that cigarette. And sometimes that grace would last almost 30 seconds. <laughs> and then the desire would come back. And I said, oh, okay, Lord. Again, I, I just want to conform my will with yours. Lord, give me grace. And, and honestly, that first day, I was probably asking for grace, asking to remove that desire, you know, five or six times every you know, every 10 minutes. And then the next day, it was, you know, once every 15 minutes. The next day, it was once every 20 minutes. And it was so clear that he would give me grace, he would take the, the power of that temptation away, that there were times where I didn't pray because I wanted that cigarette, and I know if I pray, the desire would go. So I just, I just grabbed the cigarette. But it was the exchange, and it was the supernatural power in that moment. And over a period of time, that's how I, I quit smoking it. And I don't care what your patterns are, addictions are, what, what you're dealing with, whether it's something like cigarettes or drugs or alcohol or whether it's introspection or whether it's, it's your speech or attitude. As we find ourselves in those situations, we say, Lord, I give you this this temptation, this desire, I give you what, what I want to do. Come and do in me, provide for me what I can't do just out of my own will. And that's how we find freedom. So sanctification occurs best when we re remain also in an environment conductive to change. You know, we talk about the value of fellowship and accountability and intimacy with Christ and, and studying God's word and worship and service, not because they in and of themselves can set us free, but when we give ourselves to fellowship, when we give ourselves into accountable relationships and when we give ourselves to prayer and, and, and Bible study and so on, it puts us in a place where God can get to us. Those, those self-disciplines are what we add to the faith and the supernatural aspect. It, it's like this. It's, when I, I, I had a home once and I wanted to put a, a sidewalk in. Now, I didn't just call the concrete company and say, hey, just pour some cement, a nice straight line right there in front of my house. Because it had just gone all over the place. So what I had to do is I had to build some forms, right? You know, just 
ugly old wood that had dings in it, nail holes, but I just built a form. And then the concrete truck poured it within that form. And when it took, you know, when it hardened, then I could remove the form. And God left what is, or in the concrete, you know, hardened, and it was what I wanted anyway. We build forms in our lives. We put ourselves and step out in areas saying, Lord, unless you come, I'm going <laughs> to, this isn't going to work. But we build those forms in our lives. When we, when we think about reacting in a certain way, you say, Lord, I don't want to do that. I'm going to step out and not react to this temptation or not react to this fear. But Lord, unless you come and do something from the inside out, unless you come and, and make it substantive, I'll continue to fail. Those are the prayers, and that's the pattern that brings about change in our lives. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. It's not just by gritting our teeth, but it's something that God can clearly and easily do. So what is the gospel of wholeness? Here's the gospel of wholeness in two minutes or less. The gospel of wholeness is simply that I understand, like it says in Genesis chapter 3, 6 through 13, that sin is the common problem. When Adam and Eve fell, things got screwed up, and it fractured my relationship with God and with others and with myself. And in fact, in Jeremiah 2.13, it says that we really have all committed two sins. We've, we've abandoned God, who is the, 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 the living water, the, the spring of life, and having abandoned God as our source for identity and value and worth and peace. I, I've tried to find all these things through this world or from within. They're just empty wells. Those things of this world are my sins of choice to, to try to get what only God can give. And the reason why I need to, to deal with this issue of sin is because what it says in Galatians 6, 7 and 8. It says whatever sown out of the flesh will reap corruption. There's a, there's a sowing and reaping that my sin will reap corruption and sin sown into me will reap corruption. So how do I deal with sin, whether it's mine or, or sins committed against me? Well, in Colossians 2.6, it says that as I came to Christ, that's how I walk with Christ. As I got saved, that's how I get sanctified. That's how I change. Well, it begs the question, how did I, how did I get saved? Well, Ephesians 2.8 or 2.9, or 8 and 9, says we were saved by grace through faith. We were saved by God doing something for us from the inside out that we could never do for ourselves. Not, it wasn't a result of works that we were saved. It was a result of his grace. Well, if we were saved by grace, he says we walk with Christ or we get sanctified by grace through faith. So what are those tools in which we get hold of his grace? How do we deal with sin? Sins committed against me? Forgiveness. Matthew 18, 18 says that what we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What I release on earth will be released in heaven. And that we are to forgive in Matthew 18, 35. We are to forgive from our heart. So I deal with sins committed against me 
as a supernatural exchange, something that goes on between heaven and earth, not just me and the person that sinned against me, it's between heaven and earth, and God sets me free from sins committed against me. But what do I do about my own sin or my sinful reactions? 1 John 1.9 says, If I confess my sin, he's faithful to forgive me and to cleanse me, to purify me, to take away the, the power of that sin as I repeatedly come to him and get transformed. But I need to remember that I need to add to that faith I need to position myself so God can do his best work in me. Peter said in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, he says, we add to our faith. We exercise self-discipline so that God can get to me, so that I can build the form that might be temporary, not really have much power, but it builds a form where God can bring and do in me and through me what only he can do. Folks, that's the gospel of wholeness. Why don't you stand up? Here's how I want to finish today. I just want to pray for you guys. And I want to, I want to pray this. I want to pray that two things. One, I'm going to pray that God would help you to become really familiar with this gospel of wholeness. Not because it's a, ser this, a sermon series, but because it's a revelation from God. It's his word. It's his truth as to how we can be changed. So I'm going to pray that God gives you this desire to really understand it and learn it, to go back and listen to the CDs or listen to it online. And I'm going to pray that you find delight and amazement as you make these supernatural exchanges be it through forgiveness or through repentance, that you, you see experientially the power, the power that is available to us who, who believe in him, okay? So if you're comfortable, just you can hold your hands out or not, but just, just receive what God wants to do through you or to you. Father, right now, I just pray for all of us as, as a... As a, as a congregation, as a, as a family together, I ask that you would just allow this, this process, this desire of sanctification to be, just to be marked on us and in us, just a desire to, to grow and become more and more like you. And Jesus, I pray that as, as we make even, even this day, even as we, as we get caught, cut off on the freeway, as we make these supernatural exchanges, as we, as we give to you what we don't want to have as part of our lives, that we would see your ability to, to break the power of sin, to break the power of patterns, to break the power of, of attitudes and speech, and addictions. Lord, I pray that this week we would see the fruit that comes from giving to you that which we have no power over and receiving from you a grace that is utterly supernatural, not as a result of our, our works, but a result of your goodness. Lord, 
Help us to be a people forever changing and forever turning towards you and drawing nearer and nearer and nearer to you. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen.